hello and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman and I'm one of your hosts. Every week we bring you interviews with makers of all kind from all over the world that either identify as female or non-binary. Today's guest is Rachel David. Rachel was raised in Maryland and currently a resident of North Carolina, is a blacksmith, sculptor, designer, and maker. Her metalwork practice is holistic, encompassing art, furniture, architectural elements, activism, collaborations, and gardening. The work focuses on social and environmental justice, com community, and communication, analyzing the many layers of colonization, restraints, and expectations across bodies and landscapes. And just so you know, there is a bit of a adult salty language used in this episode. Before we hop into the interview with Rachel, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Candice at CJ Woodgrain, Lee at Lee Runyon, Annette 513 Woodworks, Katie Thompson, Women of Woodworking, Kevin Lefty's Woodshop, Christy Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Brandy Studio Obey, Lee The Rainbow Carver, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your ongoing support of the podcast. And if you would like to help support the podcast, please hang out to the very end of the episode so you can learn how to do that. And now let's head on in to the conversation with Rachel. Well, Rachel, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves. Would you do that for me? My name is Rachel David. I am a metal worker focusing on forge work. Um, I recently relocated to Western North Carolina where I built a building and a cabin and I have a big land project alongside with my metalworking practice. Okay, awesome. So did I hear that correctly? Like you built a cabin and a shop? Like, <laughs> so you got to build your dream shop then? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty this is nice. me over here not being jealous at all. <laughs> I, so for 16 years, I lived in New Orleans and the last uh, decade, I had a thousand square foot shop with 10 foot ceilings. And it was like a high production or I mean, reasonably high production yeah. for a mostly one person practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I found this property in Waynesville that has a giant building that's basically split into two parts. And so now I have a 3,500 square foot shop um, that used to be a full of trash hay barn. Um, and so my friends and I knocked over the roof and salvaged all the lumber. And I put this steel building in and my, my friends came and we dug foundations and footings and everything. And so I could put all of these beautiful cranes up and I could, um, you yeah, know, you can see them in the mm -hmm. one of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I've been also very, very jealous of those, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I mean, I power carve, you know, sometimes I'm power carving like large logs. Um, and uh, at the end of last year, I hit 40. And it was like, immediately that day that I hit 40, my body's like, nope. <laughs> like, you are no longer allowed to lift such heavy items. Get like you an on your own. Hoist. Get you an hoist at least. Like, yes. those are, I bring it everywhere. Yeah. I just bring it. <laughs> um yeah I hit 40 in January also okay yeah mine was September last year so it's like yeah 40 hits differently I'll just say that like (laughs) I'm not psyched about it to be honest like a lot (laughs) like I'm looking forward to my 40s it's the best I'm like okay good I'm so glad you are I'm looking forward to it for like mentally like you know I feel like mentally like and as like an official grown-up and that's in quotes for people who are listening to this that like I'm at a different space like much further along maturity wise and just like friends wise and all that stuff like that's great but like physical work that like you and I do that part is like yeah yeah not looking forward to the the extreme downhill slope <laughs> seems to be coming at me. <laughs> I am a wild child. I am. I have Peter Pan syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> I will not grow up. You will not grow up. <laughs> I am more feral. Well, in my 20s, I was very feral. But in my 30s, I was pretty housebroken. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, not yeah. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'm going to step back from, you know, geeking out over your awesome huge shop and ask, I want to know, like, the bigger story of Rachel from, like, baby Rachel to, like, how you got to this point where you get to have this big shop space and work with with metal all day long um okay well I have always made stuff and I come from a family who are um very very supportive and also very creative people um my mother was a potter for her career um and I did crack shows with her and thought that I wasn't going to do them because it was really really awful and hard and we'll leave that right there and for about 25 years and then um or I guess 10 or 15 years and then uh, my dad did does still he is a engineer but he does did a lot of woodworking um would always let me he had me on a table saw when I was a little kid and like all sorts of cool stuff. And so really, really supportive and, um, and engaging parents who wanted us, who wanted me and my two siblings to be creative and, um, if, and just fostered our interests in really, really great ways. Very, very special people. Um, Flash forwards, I took a metalworking shop in seventh grade, shop class in seventh grade, um, and I love that. I had shop class in, like, middle school, but it was, like, wood. We didn't have, like, a metal shop I class. was very into shop class. Mm-hmm. 
I got farther than anybody else. So I got to do some metalworking there. That's awesome. I was very into it. I I have always made stuff. Like, that's the thing. It's like, I have always been super hands-on, super tactile, super physical. Like, the physicality of this practice is some part of what makes it so work for me so mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. is that I can't keep my hands off of stuff. Um, so then... Um, flash forwards, I was, I went to school for music first and then, um, I learned to weld in college and then dropped out and worked in a plastic factory overnight and then did, um, my teacher, the woman who taught me how to weld, I was so interested in in her and what she was doing and everything about her. So I was like babysitting for her kids to, and walking them to school after I got off of work because I worked third shift. And so, and she had some health problems that like made it so that it was very hard for her to um, drive at that moment. Um, And so I would, take the kids to school and then come back and work in the, in her husband at the time, stone carving business, doing filing and office work for my second job. And then she would teach me how to weld and then I would sleep and then I would go to work. Sleep for like an hour and a half or something like that. Something like that. I mean, (laughs) I was like 19 and 20. You don't need sleep at that age, right? No. And I was and I probably slept at work. I can't remember anything that I did at that job. Like, <laughs> I, I, I really can't. I know, like, I, it, I know that I did a lot of boxing. Like, I put bags in boxes. I stacked the boxes. I got paid something. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember anything. Else. <laughs> I think it's good. Like I don't have a good memory. So I like, and I kind of think that that's a good quality of mine where it's, sometimes it's very, very annoying, but I also think that it's kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely moments where it's like, it's okay that I don't remember that. Right. <laughs> like it made it that I never fight in relationships. I'm like, I mean, I guess I believe you. I feel very different right now, but I guess I believe you. <laughs> But I'm easily, I'm gullible. (laughs) I had, the reason that I was doing all this working was that I had stopped doing music. um, And that's why I was at that school. But she really coasted me along and and, um, her name is Elizabeth Meadows and she's still practicing and she's amazing. She's a super special lady. Um, I would suggest looking her up. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's really cool. Um, she is in school right now doing stuff. And I just like have so much respect for people who go back to school later in life. Not that she's old. She's actually right. just alarmingly not that much older than me, but she's so mature. She's just like, a, she just is really, really admirable and noteworthy. Um, and I feel really special that like sh- we, I, I owe her a call. Anyway, <laughs> it's hard, right? It's all yes. it's kind of like oh, I want to be in touch with you all the time. I think about I think about right. her all the time. Anyway, right. um, so then I left Ohio and I went to the Evergreen State College in Washington, and um, 
was doing welding and training at Boeing and like doing this stuff. And then um, I was in class in metal shop class. And my teacher was like, you know, if you get that hot and hammer on it, you'll get it to do what you want it to do. And I was like, what? <laughs> that's cool. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that kind of took me down this path. In my last quarter in college, I got to take a class at Penland because um, Evergreen has no rules and it's great. <laughs> uh, and I'm not like a, not really an academic person, mm-hmm. but they got like, a grant to do that. Um, so then I, when I was in Penland, I got a job working for this glass blowing equipment building company in, and they at the time were located in New Orleans. And so I moved down there to work at that job and then hurricane Katrina. And then I, um, I ended up riding my bike from, um, Asheville to Kentucky after a beautiful, it was really nice after a beautiful stop at, um, Ida in, in Tennessee. Um, and then I went back to New Orleans and like did all sorts of stuff like crazy post Katrina early 20 year olds would do. Um, mm-hmm. I managed a big giant, I had a, a shop in a building before the storm and I was one of the only people who came back. And so I ended mm-hmm. up managing the building and it became a really wonderful hub of arts and activity and like activism and wonderful stuff happened there also really fucked up stuff um but that space was um very cheap and since I had to move my bed every time it rained also you know <laughs> it, uh, yeah <laughs> it was cheap. and so that allowed me like having that space and then I had a job at, I was a preparator at at a couple of museums and so I had like very intense but very part-time job um and so I could just like do my thing and then make money and then do my thing um so like the combination of low overhead and a reasonable job just was wonderful Mm -hmm. and my community in New Orleans is beyond beautiful like I love my friends so much I miss them every day um, I'm also really happy to have moved because it just wasn't okay for me anymore. Um, so then in 2010, I moved, or the end, in 2011, actually, I moved out of that big building into my own space. Um, and it was a great move. And I, it was small, but it was mine. I wasn't going to get evicted. I could do what I needed mm-hmm. and um, live my life in a way that was pretty great. Um, and then it became time to move again, 10 years later, like 10 years. That's a long time for mm-hmm. someone to stay. Uh, I mean, I'd already been in New Orleans for like more than five years. So, you know, uh, so then I was, I had been on the road a lot trying to figure out what I was doing with myself. Cause it was kind of like 
I was very, I'm single. I've been single a long time. Most of my life. I don't owe anything to anyone. Like at that time, I didn't even have a dog. So like nothing was governing any decision. Right. And so it was house sitting at a friend of mine's in Tennessee near like between Johnson city and Boone. And I was just like still smitten by these mountains, but I decided that uh, Boone wasn't going to work right for me. Um, And then I, I had always been doubtful about Asheville, but then I like found this place um, on the internet on a, just like a commercial property. And it's like far enough from Asheville that I do not live in Asheville. I am in the country and I (laughs) am like on the side of the hill and it's cool, but this property is a big building. It has a lot of electricity already coming here, which really saved a lot of money. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and it just had a lot of potential and then the plague and everything weirder mm-hmm. <laughs> <then> weirder <laughs> and weirder <laughs> and now maybe all those duck and cover exercises from elementary school are going to come in handy right yes yes maybe 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 but so that's how I ended up here and like because of having like basically because I was very fortunate I was in the right place at the right time I've been I've always been a very hard worker um like I throw down and um and people trust me with knowing that like I will just I will work like a duck. (laughs) That work will be pretty good. It'll be the best of my ability. And um, so I got to do all this weird, questionable stuff in this big building, which really gave me experience to then work on my own building, Mm -hmm. um, which then gave me experience to work on a much nicer building. And, and I mean, shoot, it sucks that capitalism puts me in like that, that it's capital, you know, capitalism, that's it. And like, it's weird. I sell luxury items to rich people. I trade bashed up metal for money. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even really do a great job trading it for enough money, but like, I don't have a high standard of living so yeah well I'm not necessarily surprised about your your stint in New Orleans because I feel like a lot of (laughs) super creative people right it's it's like a huge hub of like creativity um creativity and it's a magical community it is it really is I mean I've only I've only been there once um and I was there for like a class so I didn't necessarily like get to hang out a lot right you know in the area um but it just felt like I don't know 
Like if there's any place you can be yourself, you can be yourself in New Orleans. Like mostly, I feel yeah. like also also it's partial. It's very it it's very hard to exist there if you're just trying to like do your little thing. Mm-hmm. And because I sell work to rich people, a lot of like it. A lot of people were pretty hesitant to invest many thousands of dollars in a house that's underwater. Mm. And so I ended up really not having that much of a client base down there. My client base migrated to the Northeast mm-hmm. five or seven years ago. Mm-hmm. So it, now moving has kind of put me in the middle of my clients, which is fine. It, right. <laughs> I mean, like is it, was it, were they finding you from like online? Your crap base. show. Oh, <laughs> so there enters the crap shows. <laughs> so I, from 2008, when I first really started trying to do this stuff, mm-hmm. to 2000, well, I still do crap shows. I don't do t- a ton, but like I still do them. So mm-hmm. I did crap shows from. Dallas, Fort Worth, Kansas City to Philadelphia to Miami, like everywhere. Okay. Yeah. So I did the year I bought my first house, I did 36 in a year. The second, the Holy second, crap. or the year before, I did, <laughs> the year I bought, I did that. Like for, for several years, I did at least two local shows a month, the craft yeah. festival fairs, and one travel fair festival i was hustling today's episode is sponsored by athena outfitters athena outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hard-working women that sells everything badass beauties need to get the job done from work boots to basics they curate the toughest essentials made to help you perform every piece is handpicked to seamlessly slide right into your daily lifestyle from rugged and roguish weekday wear to effortless weekend flair. You can fill your closet with gear that can do it all. So for Christmas, I ordered my wife like a very nice pair of slippers from Athena Outfitters and she loves them. Loves them so much that she has accidentally gone to the gym and the grocery store in them because they seem to never leave her feet. So definitely a place to go check out, go get the goods that help you not only out in the shop, but just in your daily uh, work around the house and outdoors. As a listener of the podcast, you can go to Athena Outfitters website and use coupon code MM, as in M&Ms, 15 for 15% off any purchase. So again, you go to athenaoutfitters.com and use the code MM15 and get 15% off of your purchase at checkout. How big of stuff are you taking? Things that one person should not move alone. (laughs) I would move probably a ton every weekend. I just, so like I've done... I will say I've done like two craft shows, you know, uh, or like art fairs and then like a few pop-ups. And that was like really early on. And I just got to a point, like, I mean, I wasn't like, I wasn't making my money back. Um, 
you know, that I was investing because I don't, for people who listen to the episode, I don't know if everyone is aware, like you have to buy the booth, right? <laughs> like yeah. so much expense in yeah. doing it. Yeah. And so and, very risky. It is. And, and in order to get to the, like, I still have yet to get into a show where it's like people who are coming to that show can actually afford like what I sell. So I was like, I don't have the money to invest like, you know, the low point $1,500 up to like $5,000 to get where I need to be to get to the perfect clientele. Um, I'm like, I don't have that up front. <laughs> like I just don't money to apply and it costs money yeah. to like build your booth setup yeah. and it costs money, like the whole thing. So I, because I do really weird stuff and I have mm-hmm. for the whole, like I, okay. My local show was jazz fest, which was really, really lucky. And if you mm-hmm. can ever guess, it's just worth every fucking penny. Cause like I could, I would make between 10 and $25,000 in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah. I did, I think, no, $25,000 at the show, but then I would almost always get like a few clients a, after, after that. Yeah. At least. And it would often co- like coast my year along. And then right. people keep calling me after that. And I've developed wonderful relationships through some festivals with continual clients mm-hmm. and like that relationship and like the good thing like the project that I'm working on right now is actually for some people who have been buying work since 2013 from me they are true patrons mm-hmm. and I appreciate them so much they are fucking freaks I love them so much <laughs> um I love them. Yeah. They're so cool. And so like craft shows are really hard. Yeah. Not gonna like there's no hiding that. No. But there's this really supportive and inspirational community that does them and everyone is a fucking freak. You have to be a freak to do it and mm-hmm. it's um I was definitely out in left field. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like usually people have a person that they bring and yeah. I would occasionally bring a friend and she's always great, but like, it's not always convenient. And like, if I'm worried about the money, how am I going to pay her? And right. Well, you know. yeah, that whole thing. I mean, my thing was too, like, I mean, when I started my business, uh, you know, five years ago, like I had little littles. Like my oldest was, you know, three and my youngest. That's the thing. I don't, what I'm able to do is partially possible because I don't have any responsibilities. Yeah. And so big ups to you as a parent, like doing (laughs) creative, like having a creative practice. It's, I mean, it's just, yeah. And then, I mean, honestly, like I said, I wasn't getting to the clientele and after moving like my, all my stuff is, I mean, I'm power carving, like, you know, huge logs. I'm making big furniture. Like none of it's like little, I might bring like some coasters if I was like trying to put something out that somebody could like grab and go, but I'm like, who is coming to an art show to buy a table? 
Like, I just don't know that client who's coming to an art show to like buy a table. And so after like so many of doing those, you know, and maybe getting like I would, I did get the occasional sale or like later, right? They'd grab my card and they'd call later so that they could get delivery out of me. I do charge I now. I learned my lesson. I charge for delivery. Um, but it's like, <laughs> but it's just like, you know, it was like, okay, it's time away from my family. My kids are little. Like, so I wasn't traveling. You know, I also wasn't like really traveling to shows because I was like, I need, I want to be able to drive home like at the end of the show and be there with my kids. So as they get older, like now they're like an age, I could be like, okay, your little butt's going to sit here and you're going to take money from people. <laughs> That's how you're oh, going to do it. I think that, I think that <laughs> my mom brought us. Yeah. Um, yeah. She would bring me, I'm the oldest. And so she would bring me and then she would bring my, my brother wasn't so interested. Um, and he was just such a good kid that they could like let him go and be with his friends yeah. and not, yeah. not, not sweat it. <laughs> me. Yeah. Um, but like I would go and I love the artists. And like, I think that when I see as a person who doesn't have kids and I see kids at the art shows, like I want to be their friends and I want to give their parents money because like, <laughs> like it's hard. I yes. <laughs> and, and I think like, it's a, I don't know, having grown up doing it, I, yeah. I did not want to do it as an adult. And then I ended up doing it. Um, but my mom did let me buy her tent for really cheap. So, yeah. <laughs> so now, I'm like not really doing outdoor shows. I, I kind of started drawing a line a couple yeah. years ago. I was like, I can't, I will do jazz fest, which is outside, but I don't need to bring my own tent. Right. Cause it's my, it's like my home show. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not going to Fort Worth again. Cause they're like, when I was there, tornadoes, yeah. I had a kid there. I had it two killer days and then tornadoes. Yeah. You can, when it rains and like, oh my God. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's so risky. And like, for me, for a long time, the risk paid off. Mm -hmm. Most of the, enough that I was fine to do it. Yeah. Yeah. you come back with a couple grand you're like yeah, yeah right like or several grand more than you left yeah. with yeah that's not bad yeah sometimes you don't come back with anything in your van and that yeah. feels excellent when you're like <laughs> oh cry for me I sold out <laughs> you know like that it was it was good. And I learned about clients and I learned about pricing and I learned about standing with my price. Mm-hmm. And I also learned about throat punching people who grabbed me. Very good skill. Um, it's I, also, I also struggle with the whole, I, I mean, if I did throat punching, I know I would end up throat punching way more people than like is, you know, culturally like accepted. Um, because there's I guess, like, there was the people there was that are like, one time, it was, yes. it was only one time when it was a very, very drunk, very large man. And, and it was late at night yeah. in Kansas city. 
Um, and I was so tired and it was so crowded. And I was just like, you can't grab me like that. This is not sensual. So I will perform another non-consensual act. Because <laughs> I had already asked him right. to leave. Right. I mean, but I mean, well, and to me, that's like absolutely like, yes, you should have done that action. I'm talking even though like, it's like I get the, you know, the straight couple that comes in and you know the wife's like enamored with like my work and the husband's just standing there the whole time like I can make that I can make that I could do that I could do that and I'm like but you're not fucking gonna do it are you so, like back off <laughs> how with your next 15 years you're gonna learn how to do yeah. this and buy a hammer like like that right you know. <laughs> do it sure you're gonna put that Raj, I'm sure you are. Um, <laughs> so, like, I very luckily have gotten past in my practice and and with clients, mm-hmm. gotten past where people will be like, "Oh yeah," like when people are like, "Oh yeah, I'm a blacksmith." I'm like, "I'm so glad." Like, yeah. what do you, do you make? And they're like, "I make these hooks." I'm like, "Good, keep it up," you know. Yeah. Um, I get a lot of people being like. I want to wait for your husband. I'm like, hmm, I don't. Yes. <laughs> uh, you can wait for him if you want. <laughs> I'm not. Right. <laughs> yeah. You could just talk to me since I made it. You right. know, it says Rachel David up there. My name tag says Rachel, Rachel David. Oh. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I um, occasionally respond really well and occasionally don't. And I'm trying to figure out how to respond. Like I can be very, very funny sometimes, which really helps. Um, and I've gotten some sales out of it, you know? Uh, but sometimes I just like when it's the end of the day, you don't and feel so like it. Sometimes the, like a woman that I'm like, expect it who looks you know not like not total Karen but like yeah like she is the worst like someone was like you know you should really shave your armpits and I was like you know what you should not tell me what to do with my body Body. right (laughs) Right. (laughs) she's like well you would smell less I'm like if I stood in a parking lot in the summer less I would smell less too yeah Throwing that out there, yes. <laughs> it's just like, wow, the way you feel entitled to talk to other people is shocking. Yes, it's not, but also, don't talk to me like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have to pack up after this. Yeah, I, uh, I realized from you know, I worked as a cashier um, and then as a lifeguard in high school. And I learned through those experiences that I don't like people <laughs> so, like, in general. I don't, I don't really like dealing with the general public. Um, and so that's like the other definite barrier to me for like shows, like, you know, craft shows, art shows. They're because, not everyone. No. And it's like, I have to, 
like I'm also naturally an introvert. So just like finding the energy to like show up in that space is a lot just to get there. And then like having to have that energy, like constantly while talking with people and especially with people who are probably at least half the time, very rude, <laughs> you know, um, Same thing over and over. And like, people are always going to ask people who they don't expect to be doing this work. Oh, how did you get into it? Right. And you say the same thing over and over. And I, I'm not trying to convince you that it's something to try, but I kind of am because I think that is like. A, a I mean, there's, work. it's, yeah, it's valid. It's definitely valid. Um, but like, I will say out it's some kind of drag, some kind of costume that really hit me. Yeah. Like, yeah. Dress <laughs> up. Cause I don't, cause you know, like I wear a t-shirt and yeah, yeah. <laughs> she has clothes all the time rotting off my yeah. body, but no, I have like my show clothes and they look foxy and like, I have my drag and like I go and then I get wasted and sleep in my van at night and wake up, you know, ready to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wet, wet wipes and, you know, yep. go for it. Um, I think that for me, that was a doing those shows also kind of bringing it back to like the practice. Yeah. It like really helped me actually practice, like making work, doing design work, always being drawing every day, always being um, trying to fit something else in, trying mm-hmm. to do some experiment. Like that's how I learned. Mm-hmm. And because I'm such a physical person, because I'm so tactile and I can't really like everything is the first time for me in a way, um, the doing those shows really allowed me to figure out what was happening. Like I could, I couldn't get a job with someone the way a lot of my colleagues have, like it Mm -hmm. just it just didn't work. Like I didn't feel safe and I didn't feel, um, I didn't want to put myself into situations that were, um, potentially like mm-hmm. I, w- I had done a couple jobs with other people when I was young, much younger. Um, and then I, had had some pretty awful experiences where I felt distinctly unsafe and unwelcome and like I had to argue to get paid and had to like do all this stuff and so I just like stopped because I was kind of like you know I love my friends kind of just want to be there like I'm just gonna try this mm-hmm. other this way that like my mom did so mm-hmm. like right yeah you know um, and now, now that I have practice, now that I have things like I had, I worked for a couple of people who I really, really enjoyed working for and learned a lot from, but you know, 10 years ago, they wouldn't have hired me for shit. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have felt, I wouldn't have felt confident enough. I, I mean, I still was like, would have to amp myself up to go to work. Yeah. But like, not because I didn't love just going and getting into it, but because it was like, oh my gosh, all these people are so talented and like, Mm -hmm. 
Like I worked for this company in Philadelphia and like the other, the fabricators, they're just simply magical. Like, well, if I could have watched those guys work and like learn what they were doing, like simply magical. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a very cool, that was a very cool job. Very stressful. Very cool though. <laughs> I love, I love the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, think, I love thing. Yeah. I think the, I mean, one, one point I want to hit before I say this comment was like, I, I will say I learned one way to get around having to say I'm the one who made this and like explain how I got it, you know, all of that <laughs> by creating YouTube videos. And if the place had Wi-Fi, I would bring like my smart TV and I would just loop my YouTube. So yep. when they would come up to the to the space, you know, and it's like <clears throat> I could watch it. It's like the dude who would have been like. I can make that myself or I can do that myself. It's like that dude, like he starts off standing like way back, lets his wife come up and you can see he's just watching the YouTube and like oh, get a little closer and a little closer and a little closer until he would come up then and be more like, that's really cool. Like, how'd you learn how to do that? You know? So like, it was no longer questioning my skill set. It was more like understanding, no, I am an expert. And everything you see here is worth every penny that, you know, that I'm trying to charge for it. Um, so I will say, like, that's the tactic I took because I got tired of, like, I'm not explaining myself to you anymore. Like, you should take the fact that all of us who are here in this space know the, what the fuck we're doing. Like, <laughs> we have spent the years to do all to learn all of this shit. <laughs> you know, so that's the tactic I took. Um, like the I watched some of your videos because I was just trying to hear yeah. and like get to know you in a way mm-hmm. that's like oh I don't I don't know I value technology so much and I see so much goodness like all of this zoom stuff and all of these yes. interviews yeah. and like oh my god it's so cool I just like I've never gotten like like going yep. back to before I've never gotten into like being a face next to my work yeah, because yeah. it was I mean the face like next that, to your work sweaty, like you're not filthy no, mug <laughs> no but no you're I mean you're not alone like so many artists so many craftspeople like we get into it because of the work right like I'm here to make the thing like that's all my focus is and I created this thing and it's basically like an object that's my baby because I put all of this work into it. And so I want every, all the eyeballs on that. Like, I don't look at me, look at that. Like I get that. However, I think I've learned through social media predominantly that like the people who are buying our stuff, yes, they think that thing is cool, but they want to know the person behind it. That's part of what they're investing in. Yes. Yeah. And like, I recognize (laughs) in a major way because mm-hmm. of chips that I've built with, with some special clients. Um, I just also see so many of my colleagues kind of grossly capitalizing on the fine specimens of humanity they happen to be. 
And that's something that makes me distinctly uncomfortable and also excluded. Not that I'm not like a fine specimen of humanity. (laughs) I'm just not like gonna take my shirt off and swing a sledgehammer in public. Right. Right. Not gonna happen. I will swing a sledgehammer. Right. I will fully and modestly clothed doing it (laughs) because (laughs) make any comments about me. Well, I mean, it's, it's the, (laughs) it's the whole, um, I love when I get to use these words, it's the whole misogyny of it, right? It's the, like, it's the, those, you know, I don't know if you're talking about men or women, but if it's women, it's like the women feel like they have to. Yes. I mean, it's everyone, but like, but I mean, it's like, they think they have to in order to get this, the sale. You know what I mean? It's like the idea of like, beauty yeah yeah I see that I guess like what I'm referring to is kind of this um gladiator-esque I can see that yeah Yeah. most of my colleagues also are wonderful at I would say okay 30 percent of my colleagues my friends in my field are beautiful humans Mm -hmm. Uh, really wonderful, supportive, mostly men, though I have a lot of like, I would say 75% of the women in the field are my friends and not, and certainly as many non-binary and trans people in the field that can feel comfortable coming into the field. I want to be friends with people. Right, right. Like I have for my life made it my business to know people like me in my field but there just aren't that many um there aren't that many people in the field like no. <laughs> there's 500 blacksmiths in this country yeah <laughs> so well, and and there's a lot of there is a lot of um like there's a good friend of mine you know and I'll I'll leave her name out of it just because of you know what I'm going to talk about and I don't want people to bug her about it but like she's shared with me experiences like she does she's getting into blacksmithing right so it's like she's doing different tell her about it yes (laughs) yes society of inclusive blacksmiths it's like maybe well yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but she is like you know she's getting into it and just like some of the classes she's had and talking about like the men who are taking the same classes, they're at the same level as what she's at, right? Who are totally gaslighting her and like invading her physical space, making, getting back kind of to what you talked about, like she not feeling safe, right? Um, and having to get through that and reach out to community to get support, you know, just moral support of like, no, you're not wrong. You didn't see that wrong. That person was being a douche. Like, <clears throat> you know, that is what that person was being, like, and trying to just validate, like, her feelings on it. Um, I have, yeah, I have been demonstrating alongside a person who has had a lot of um, uh, advantages in this life. Mm we are colleagues, we were demonstrating at the same place on the same stage for the same amount of time as equal demonstrators. Mm-hmm. And this person will not acknowledge me as a human, will not say that there are 
runs a school will not say that there are advantages that some people in this world have over other people does not see a need to hire people who have been put at disadvantage because of who they are, the skin that they walk around in. We'll hire people who absolutely dismiss that as a issue in this world, pretty much exclusively. Yeah. Like, I wish that it wasn't so, I wish that I didn't feel like it was so important to support any venture by anybody. Yeah. Because I feel like it's so important, but I wish that I could, I wish that I could actively be like, Hey, that's a really cool thing. It's not the safest place to go. Like maybe try this other place. Um, and I think that Sibs does a good job. Let me just give a little background on yeah. Sibs because I really, really feel like it's <laughs> and it's really important to talk about on any platform I'm ever afforded. Um, Sibs is a society of inclusive blacksmiths. We, um, I'm one of three co-founders with Anne Bujold and Lisa Geertsen, Um, and we have been expanding a lot recently. We have a we do mentorship program, which. Um, third one our third round is just starting it's a very cool program for anyone who either wants to share knowledge or get knowledge and I love it I was a mentor I'm going to be a mentor this time it is super special um and then we also fund scholarships and we partner with different organizations who see our mission as a valid and important mission to uh, collaborate with. Mm-hmm. And so um, we, our website is this inclusive blacksmiths.com and we are on Instagram and Facebook at the same. Uh, That's I am- actually how I found you. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, I am not the moderator of those, of those because I uh, run a business and can barely keep my head above water. <laughs> Um, but we have like our, our governance committee is full of very cool people who are super devoted. And, um, I just like, can't say enough. Like if you, if a listener is interested, mm-hmm. um, Sibs is a really great resource and we work really hard to, um, we work really hard to just like help you work hard. We work hard if you suffer. <laughs> Less, less, less. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. voluntary suffering. <laughs> and I'll, I'll include the link to that um, in the show notes, as well as uh, the link to your stuff. So thank you. Yeah. Um, it's a really, I wish that it, I wish that it existed 20 years ago. It's like, I also think that it's, a, we started it in 2017. We started really working on it, the three of us. Um, and I, and it's really wonderful to see so many organizations, like Crafting the Future kind of started alongside. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they had the, they had more institutional support than yeah. we've had. Um, and I hope that, I mean, I'm friends with Annie and I hope that we do stuff moving in the, in the future together. Um, I recently just had Annie on the podcast. So yes. 
<laughs> oh man, you're getting to talk to such cool people. I've been really into <laughs> Why do you think I do this? I tell people it's very selfishly motivated a lot of times. It's just because I want to talk to cool people. <laughs> I, respect that. I do think, I mean, like, I definitely, yeah, I mean, a lot of the most generous things that people do are kind of self-motivated, even <laughs> yeah. though it's also not, it is. Right. Right. <laughs> and it's wonderful. And because like we all been like, as if something is self-motivated, that is also mutually beneficiary, beneficiary, like, fuck, that's rad. Like, right. Haymakers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it, and I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, And also great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout. If you enter the code maker mom, you will get a 20% discount off any of the merchandise that you buy. So that's just toolmomstore.com. All right, let's head back into the action. Um, we're, we are getting close to the end of our time. And I realized, um, cause I'm trying to, I am pushing myself to get better at doing this. I didn't ask, how do you identify? Oh, she, her. Okay. Um, thank you for asking. Yes. Uh, also like happily misgendered and, and, <laughs> and, okay. and so, so, I mean, like, I love being misgendered and surprising people, you know, it's, it's like kind of, sometimes I find it hard to when I and surprising but like mm-hmm. that's something that is um like as someone who is androgynous by nature and mm-hmm. I can I feel like I get to help people by like being an ally in like supporting you know mm-hmm. to, even though I'm cis identified. Right. I can just like make it more normal. Right. Right. To be like, oh, this person looks like this. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Nope. Yeah. Yeah. It stopped. It used to for a long time bother me um, when I would get misgendered and called sir. Um, And then it just stopped bothering me. Um, now I just get bothered when people apologize. I'm like, I don't care. Um, so like, just take my well, order. Like I'm like, not. <laughs> some people, I like it when they're surprised. And then I also like it when they do apologize. Cause I know that um, some people would feel much worse than I do. True. And so I want to help create a culture that cares that they might make someone feel bad. Right. But again, it's to your point, like they were calling me whatever gender based on looks. And so like they weren't apologizing 
because I corrected them on my gender, they were apologizing because they realized I have boobs. Like, that's why they were apologizing. So in a sense, they could have been just misgendering me twice, if that makes sense, like calling me sir, and then correcting and being like, no, I'm sorry, ma'am, you know, and it's like, "Mm." either way, like you actually... Like, I find myself no using either way yeah. a lot in those interactions. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting also. And like having a lot of non-binary friends mm-hmm. and working with as like, in, you know, prioritizing hiring people, like mm-hmm. gender queer people yep. um, if possible, which is really kind of hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's, um, it's something that like, I try to just be supportive. And like, if, if someone feels a certain way that, especially if I'm working with them and we're at a job or something, like I really just kind of want to make sure it's like safe. I mean, I, I don't hire many men because it, is too confusing for a person and like that that person ends up feeling crappy because the contractor or the homeowner always goes to them and they're like I don't know what you're talking about this is not my job right I'm just day labor yeah. <laughs> like this is all on Rachel like this is right. Rachel's project like don't right. <laughs> so I mean like I have a dear like big brother friend who I hire a lot he's like around all the time he's super talented and he's like, this is not me. Mm-hmm. Don't give credit. And that's like all you can ask because what yeah. is what are you supposed to say, right? Yeah, I mean, that's my my goal is to get to a point where I hire myself first full-time because um, that's still definitely not, you know, my situation. That's my number one goal. My number two goal is to be able to grow to hire others. And I kind of only have one real strict rule with that. And that's, no white cishet men. That's pretty much my only rule. (laughs) I mean, because yeah, I mean, having, but I see in, I mean, blacksmith world, there's not a ton. There's very few. I was so, dude, I was so spoiled. My helper, my first regular employee is another person you should definitely know about Sachi Nasatir. I got so spoiled with them. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. They are just that. Oh, I'm so spoiled. Not only were they like a fabulous, open-minded, open-handed, hard worker, they were a great chaperone for someone who needs a chaperone fairly regularly. (laughs) And, um, and it just like, was really like, I got to very honestly hire someone who was so talented, who like also met my desire to not hire Mrs. Hat White dude. Like, yeah. Yep. It was really nice. Yes. <laughs> it's really like, because the work that I'm doing is not basic and I'm very particular, mm-hmm. like it's hard to, because of all of the assorted pipeline problems in blacksmithing, um, that I could spend hours and hours talking about if you're interested, but (laughs) um, it's hard for me to hire someone who is qualified, 
who I feel like I should be hiring. So I haven't, I'm trying a person next Monday, but they're also like, you know, they have a full-time job and I respect, but they want to do metal work and I want to support them doing metal work by hiring them and giving them opportunity. But I also like know that they're new at it and like try and learning. And I'm like, how do I incorporate that and pay some, like I prioritize paying people fair, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I don't, everyone gets starts at 15, Mm -hmm. no matter everyone. I mean, you, you could like, that's the minimum I will allow anyone to paid in this building I mean you can go up higher you start higher right (laughs) I really like it when people are very skilled like I want to pay people whatever Mm -hmm. I would I had all of the money in the world because I would just pay all like whenever I get yes I hire myself I don't get paid Mm -hmm. as my employees but like they're really important I nothing that I've done and recently would have been possible without like open-minded, amazing help. And like, that's something that I would like to hear people talk about a whole lot more. It's like how important, like we, you can only make what the people who you bring on can make, right? Like if you don't have talented help, you're not going to be able to make the work that you envision unless you're making it all yourself. Right. Or out of way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just would like to hear. Yeah. I just, I feel like it's, I just did, did this talk um, for the, because I won an award and I, and it came down to like, I felt when I was really like searching through for my thesis, it really came down to like how amazing the people are that surround me. Like I have a lot of concept heavy work, mm-hmm. um, you know, talking about the environment, talking about restraints and colonialism and like mm-hmm. all this stuff. But like, I can only make that because Sachi would come over and happily punch holes while I freak out every minute, right? <laughs> I just be like, I'm gonna hit that thing where you put it. Ready? <laughs> you know, like, and that's really, really special. Yeah. That's so special. <laughs> so <laughs> that's like, that's it, mm-hmm. right? And I, just um feel like that deserves a million like I can't when when the when you know when these companies are just like we can't afford it. it's like you would not do anything without your workers uh, exactly. also like fuck a bunch of capitalism that's me but still Jesus <laughs> it's like I see I see this this is my solution. Yeah. Whatever it is. I'm one person. I hi- like, I would love to hire. I have the people, the only people I have full time, like really fully are, I have a bookkeeper and a CPA. If I didn't have, I would not 
be a business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I also understand that. <laughs> like that is hard work. Yes. That is not me. Yep. <laughs> exactly. One hundred percent. Okay. What do you have any other guiding? I feel like this is really lovely and I could talk to you for a long time. It's so nice. And like talking about practice and mm-hmm. talking about um, kind of the, I don't know about the revolutionary aspect of, of what it is. I really attribute like a lot of, I, I see and have had recent experiences um, of my personal self that is um, telling that to me that this, we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a very sad experience recently, but I also feel like, if, like podcasts like this and ho- like, hopefully Hopefully your listeners feel like um, there is, there are some, there is some kindness out there. It's unfortunately fewer and farther between than I would like, but like, I think Sibs is a really good hub for metalworking and Metalsmiths for Change. That's a really cool organization. And SNAG is trying really hard. I think they have a lot of flaws, but like as a national organization for metal workers, like they're trying, mm-hmm. really trying. Um, don't go to a band. I think we need to see a bit of that revolution in woodworking. Um, there's societies out there that, like you said, like national organizations that are trying. Um, the furniture society, what do you think about them? They trying? I'll take this part off the interview. Um, <laughs> I think, well, I think like, they're trying. Has they been supportive of me? Yeah, and I think so, I think they're trying. I 100% think they're trying. I don't know. To me, I, I don't know how I feel about it because... It still feels like a lot of white women trying to do the right thing and not being able to put their finger quite on it. Um, You know, like I've, I have several interactions with them. I have good friends who are members of the Furniture Society um, and they've asked me several times (laughs) to become a member um, and join their community. And All I can say right now is I have to follow my gut on these things. And my gut is still telling me like, this is not the space for me to put my energy into um, because it would still require a lot of education. And sometimes I'm just too tired to do the fucking education (laughs) anymore. Um, And so like, I would rather put like, I have a membership to crafting the future. Like I would rather put my money and my energy into supporting spaces that already get it and don't feel as performative. Like furniture society feels a little bit performative to me. 
I see these like I'm going to call it heritage organizations. Yes. Um, I I feel you on that. Where it's just like they're flogging it because they don't want it to die because yes. they is because they have been valuable for people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, I've been like I've been just so kind of devoted. Like the kids are so fucking cool. Like mm-hmm. you know, I feel like. Everyone over 35 should really just step back. Like we are, mm-hmm. we are fucked. Mm-hmm. We yep. just like the kids are so cool. The kids are so fucking cool. They are. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> they are. They are like, I watch, I watch, oh, I'm getting goosebumps. I watch my friends' kids and they're like, all of them are incredible i mean granted my friends are fucking rad <laughs> like really caring right. and right. aware parents right. and like parents in this way that i'm like oh shit what would i have been like if you were my parents like <laughs> think about the freaks i are gonna happen it's gonna be uh-huh. so cool <laughs> but like i oh god baby boomers really no yeah i mean stop yep (laughs) it's okay to be a wise elder yes yes it's actually much more charming yes yes it is so (laughs) i mean that's yeah that's just my feeling about but it it does make me think like when you're talking about like inclusive blacksmiths i'm like hmm i really really cannot add more to my plate yes I yet I deeply feel like a thing that just like turned inside to go okay Katie (laughs) that's the next step that's like the next thing of like in create and creating kind of more of a the inclusive woodworking space so I try to I really prefer the term maker like that's what I've identified with more because when I, you say woodworker I'm a metal worker yeah I am not strictly a blacksmith yeah but that's not part of like the um, at least for us the emphasis is on forging yeah um but like with making oh there's there are some really like especially in urban places I think yeah. that there's like in Houston there's this really cool trans inclusive maker space yeah like our it's just like there's an explicity that is valuable i think where you're like we are explicitly inclusive to this these kinds of people because like that's makes it feel safe and like in terms of it's hard so as a white woman i often feel like what am i supposed to do other than like push this thing and yeah I don't want it to be for performative and I don't yeah. want it to be yeah. like, oh, just like this well-meaning white lady doing this right. thing. Right. But I am a well-meaning white lady mm-hmm. and I am just going to do this thing. And if I can like amplify and uplift as many people of color and, and makers and like. There's a difference I- though, right? <laughs> There's like well-meaning white lady who continues to center their own voice versus well-meaning white lady who actively works to center the voice of others yeah and that's like what 
like I guess that I am trying to because like I I get a platform like this I get a platform like whatever like I'm gonna try to be like oh if I can't like if I I was asked to do this thing where like I just I wanted to do it really badly it was really cool idea but like I didn't I had already gotten scheduled and so like I was like you should ask this person being Mm -hmm. an like a a ripping talented artist also queer woman of color like that's I will do my part to mm-hmm. like make sure that every opportunity goes yes. to yep absolutely but also sometimes those aren't the right like sometimes it feels like I have to be really aware that that person wouldn't feel bad being put in that situation and like make sure that that's the intention is that of the program that it is intentionally not gonna like make someone feel tokenized correct correct and so like that's something that I would like I think that as inclusive blacksmiths we do our best but because there's so few opportunities and so few people even doing it. And like, why are we doing it? It's like really consumptive. It's really bad. It's like super hard work. Like there's a reason it's obsolete. Yeah. Like what's the point? Like, what are we doing? What are we trying to get people to do? none of it really makes that much sense but then it's also just like there is a joy and like the the joy is what to share yeah and again I could talk with you forever as well but I have a commitment coming up so I'll let you (laughs) yeah I'm gonna let you share like again how people can like find you and follow along with all your work um so I can include all those links Thank you so much for this opportunity. It is a true pleasure. And I hope that we can connect. Can you remind me where you're located? I'm in Iowa. So middle of the country. Yes. <laughs> I've been there. My grandfather was a statistics professor at um, Iowa University in Ames. So. Ah, okay. Yeah. He was a cyclone. That's where the, yeah. <laughs> we, but I've been there. You've been there. <laughs> So my name is Rachel David. My website is redmetal.net. Um, my Instagram is at underscore underscore red metal. Underscore underscore. Um, the Society of Inclusive Blacksmiths is at inclusive blacksmiths. Um, I will be, I just did a talk that you can see on YouTube for the that's connected on the James Renwick uh, Alliance. Uh, And I will be doing some very cool projects with them for for their collection this coming year, Um, which feels really special. And I'm gonna cry about it because it's (laughs) crazy. And then um, what else? Crafting the future, always good to amplify. Uh, CTF at CTF. Yep. And then um, 
Metals miss for change. Okay. Awesome. I so appreciate your time. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. So again, that was Rachel David. I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her and her work specifically, as well as the links on how you can follow along with Inclusive Blacksmiths, which she is a part of. Be sure to follow along with the podcast over on Instagram at Crafting a Revolution. And if you like today's episode, be sure to subscribe and like on your podcast app. And you can find the show notes for today on your podcast app for today's episode. If you happen to be watching this on Freeman Furnishings YouTube channel, you can check the description box down below, or you can head on over to Freeman Furnishings dot com forward slash podcast to find this episode's show notes as well as all the past episodes if you enjoy the podcast and would like to uh, support it in a monetary way you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution and that gives you an option um, with different tier levels to support on a monthly basis and get your name added to the list at the start of the episode for every episode If you would like to support in a monetary way, but with just a one-time donation, please again, follow along with the podcast on Instagram at Crafting a Revolution and head there to link in the bio and there's an option to give a one-time donation there. If you would like to support the podcast, not necessarily in a monetary way, please make sure to share about it on Instagram and tag the podcast at Crafting a Revolution. If you enjoy listening to your host, go ahead and check us out over on Instagram as well. You can find myself, Katie Freeman, at Freeman Furnishings, where I am either power carving, shop dancing, pouring resin, or doing all sorts of crazy things. And you can check out my co-host, Katie Thompson, over at Women of Woodworking on Instagram, as well as her additional project, Pen and Chisel, also on Instagram. So go check those out. Say hi. Follow along with us. Um, We always enjoy interacting with those who enjoy the podcast. Okay, so next week we'll be back with two brand new episodes. And in the meantime, as always, let's go craft a revolution. Keep her.